and corn and other crops to be able to produce not just one, but multiple harvests per year. In addition to creating these modified foods, he also was able to provide a seed that could grow in even desert climates. His breakthroughs in science allowed him to have crops build in some of the poorest and most famished parts of the world. At the end of the day, it is said of Dr. Borlaug that he has saved more lives than any other person who has ever lived. Some have estimated that to date, Dr. Borlaug has rescued as many as 2 billion people who otherwise would have starved in less than desirable conditions. What an amazing accomplishment this guy had. But I've got some good news for you this morning. Dr. Borlaug certainly did something very remarkable by allowing people to survive here on earth that otherwise couldn't. But this morning, I want to introduce you to someone who provided not just life here on this earth, but actually eternal life. Not just life for two billion people, but in the truest sense of the word, someone who provided the ability for every single person in the world who ever has, is, or ever will live, the opportunity to have eternal life. And that is Jesus Christ. In the Bible, the story of Jesus Christ is called the gospel. And the word gospel just simply means good news. And so today, I want to take a few minutes and I want to explain to you from the Bible what the Bible means when it talks about the gospel. And if there's ever been a person that understood the gospel more than anybody, that understood the good news of Jesus Christ, it would have absolutely been the man that wrote the book of Romans, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. Now, interestingly, Paul was a very religious man. In fact, he was a a member of a group of people in the Bible called the Pharisees. He would have been ultra-religious, would have learned uh, uh, and memorized the first five books of the Bible, and would have spent his life uh, living the details of that book, trying to earn favor with God. But after Paul became a Pharisee, he encountered Jesus Christ and entered into a personal relationship with him, and God completely and radically transformed his life and made him a Christ follower. So when Paul writes these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he was saying, I have now given my life to share with others what Christ has done for me. And this morning, I want to share with you what Christ did for Paul, what Christ did for me, what Christ has done for many people in this room, and what Christ has done for you, and what he will do for you if you put your faith and trust in him and him alone. So this morning, I'm going to be very simple. I'm going to ask and answer three questions from this verse. Number one, very simply, what is the gospel? What does that mean? You hear it, no doubt. You've heard it said before. You may have heard things about Jesus. You, uh, we, we, we'll, uh, even secular people will throw the word gospel around. They'll say something like, that's the gospel truth. Everybody's heard this word. Everybody, everybody at least uh, would have some working knowledge of this word. But the word itself actually means good news. And what it refers to is the good news that Jesus Christ died He shed his blood, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead, offering forgiveness of sins and eternal life to anyone that would believe on him. Now that is good news. The reason it is good news is because there is some bad news. And the Bible tells us 
that every single person in the world needs the gospel. And here's why you need the gospel. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not a person in this room, if you're the best person in the room, if you're the most spiritual person in the room, there is not a person in this room who has not sinned against God. And because of that sin, we have all fallen short of God and His glory. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 3.10, there is none that does good. No, not one. The Bible says, your sins, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear you. In fact, Psalm 51 says it like this. It says, Behold, I was shaped in sin, and in iniquity did my mother conceive me. From the very moment of conception in our mother's womb to the very day as we sit here today, all of us have sinned against God, and we are fundamentally separated from Him. And the Bible describes how this all happened in Genesis chapter number 3. In Genesis chapter number 3, God had created Adam and Eve. They lived in a state of perfect innocence, a perfect relationship with God. And the Bible says that God only told them there was one thing I don't want you to do. I do not want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And of course, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, in the form of a snake, deceived Eve, tricked her, manipulated her, and got her to bite of that, as we say, forbidden fruit. And there in the Garden of Eden, Eve ate the fruit, Adam ate the fruit, and the Bible says immediately their eyes were awoke and they realized that they were naked, they were ashamed, and they were guilty before God. Listen very carefully. All sin is before God. All sin makes us guilty before God. And there's absolutely nothing in the world that we can do ourselves to remedy this. I mean, you can do as good as you can. You can go to church as many times as you want to. You can be the nicest person in your community and be involved in any kind of nonprofit help organization you can be. But you still have this one thing to consider, and that is this. Everybody's broken God's law. And nothing that you would ever do could remedy the breaking of God's law. So what is the good news? The good news is that while you could not remedy your own problem, Christ remedied the problem for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his life as God the Son in the flesh and came to this earth and 2,000 years ago he died on a cross. He shed his blood on that cross. He rose again the third day after dying on the cross so that he can give eternal life to anyone who would believe. And the Bible is very clear about this. You have no chance of ever having a relationship with God or no chance of going to heaven without Jesus Christ. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. For it is by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. I've said this often. You've got a better chance of getting a Chick-fil-A sandwich on Sunday than you do of getting to heaven on your own without Christ. Folks, I could stand here for the rest of the afternoon, literally, and I could quote and read and teach to you verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible, and they all say the same thing. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. There is no one, friend, no one that can get to heaven without Jesus Christ. And yet, the good news is this. You don't have to get to heaven without Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ made a way for you to be saved. Now look at the verse again. It says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Watch this. It is the power of God unto salvation. This gospel, the Bible says here, is the power of God unto salvation. When I think about the gospel and what it is able to do, it has inherent power from God to do several things. Number one, it has the power to bring you to a place of conviction. Now, the Bible describes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as conviction. The conviction is a word that you may think of in terms of prisons or jail here today, but conviction is literally when the Holy Spirit, God, is pressing charges on you through His Word. He's demonstrating to you that you need what is being said. For instance, you may be here today and you may have thought to yourself before coming to church today, man, you know, I need to go to church. Church is my answer. Maybe here you're thinking, starting to think now, wait a second. This guy's saying church isn't the answer. And you're right. This guy's saying Jesus is the only way. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's right. And inside your heart, you're sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to you saying, this guy is talking to me. This message is for me. And that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you and awakening your heart to believe the gospel. But not only does the Holy Spirit have the power to convict you and show you your need. Listen to me. It has the power to transform you. The Bible says uh, in 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21, it says, uh, if any man is in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible talks about this as a spiritual conversion or being born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 says it like this, that we are born again by the word of God that lives and abides forever. When Christ enters into somebody's life, listen, very simply, it is like being born all over again. When you were born the first time, your mother gave birth to you, literally life entered into you and you begin to grow and you begin to develop as a human being. The same thing happens to somebody spiritually. When a person accepts Jesus Christ and believes on him, a person is at that moment born again. They're given new life and that spiritual life begins to grow and develop in their life. You may be here and say, man, listen, you've got me all wrong. I came to church today, but I'm not a church person. You don't have to be a church person. Here's what you can be, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I could stand here and give testimony to the fact of the life-changing power of the gospel in my own life. I can take you back to one week before my 19th birthday where I had lived a life as a teenager completely separated from God, not interested in church, interested in only myself and living for myself. But I can also take you to a Sunday school classroom in a church in the hills of West Virginia where God got a hold of my heart 
and we're in that Sunday school class, I got on my knees and I called out to God and accepted him. I knew I didn't deserve him. I knew that there was no chance I was going to get to heaven on my own, but I believed in him. And I can take you from that day, May 25th, 1997, to this day, November 7th, 2021, and I can demonstrate for you how God, over 24 years, has been changing my life. And listen very carefully, he can do the same thing for you today. And there may be somebody here today, you're thinking to yourself, well, I could really use some of that. You're right. Maybe you found yourself going in the wrong direction, making wrong choices, ending up in a bad place. I'm here to tell you, Christ can transform your life. He can give you hope where otherwise there is no hope. Which leads me to the second question. What is the gospel? It's the good news of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second question is this. Who is the gospel for? Again, you may be here to go, oh, look, I've heard this before. I've, I've been around churches before. I'm just not a church person. It's just not for me. And I want to tell you that that is simply not true. Let me explain to you who the gospel is for this verse does. It says, it is to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Let me give you the short version of it. Who is the gospel for? It is for everybody. Because according to the Bible, everybody in the world is either a Jew or they're not. It's really not that complicated. And what God is saying here to us is this. It is for everyone that believes. And he breaks it up into two categories that I think we all fit in this morning. He first of all says it's to the Jew. The Jews were very religious people. The Jews were people that obeyed God's word and yet they still needed the gospel. Friend, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter if you've been to church every day of your life since you were a baby. It doesn't matter if you were a member of a church here in town since its inception. It doesn't matter if you were baptized as a kid, went through all kinds of catechisms and confirmations or whatever you've done. The very fact of the matter is the Bible teaches us that every single person in the world, religious or not, all need Jesus. In fact, I would say it like this. There is no one in the world who is so good that they do not need to be saved. You know, if I were to say, yeah, that Jesus died, he shed his blood for you. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, well, I mean, boy, I'm sure glad some people were here because they really need it. You're missing the point. I can tell you for certain that if you have never come to a place in your personal life where you have seen how much you need God, and it's never brought you to a point where you personally accepted Jesus Christ because you knew that even though I go to church and even though I'm religious, I still need Christ then I want to tell you, friend, you are far, far, far away from the Bible's picture of what the truth is. And the truth is, it doesn't matter how good you think you are, before God, you still need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And so religious people need to be saved. Then I love this, he says, to the Jews first, and also to the Greeks. Well, the Jews teaches us that no one is too good, that they do not need to be saved. The Greeks teach us that no one is too bad that they can't be saved. Well, I don't know about you. I'm pretty encouraged to know that. There's a whole lot of people out here that are deceived by religion. I mean, I think of people uh, even in this room right now that grew up going to this very church we're sitting in right here. For years, a church that never really explained to people how they could know for sure that they could have a personal relationship with God. And yet, now, coming back to a new church in the same old building that found faith in Christ. I'm looking at the second row right here, Rhonda. Rhonda grew up in this church. She got married in this church. 
And when she started coming to River City Baptist Church, she realized that she had never accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. I'll never forget the day that I sat down with her at Sonny's Barbecue right down the road and explained to her who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And she accepted Christ right there in the restaurant and got baptized here at church. You see, you're not so good that you don't need to be saved. But hear me. You're not so bad that you can't be saved. Friend, I want to tell you, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your rap sheet is. I don't care what's in your record. I don't care how many marriages you've blown through. I don't care how many drugs you've snorted, how many beers you've drank. I don't care how jacked up your life is right now. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus Christ loves you, and no matter where you've been, he is willing to give you a second chance right here and right now. He's willing to save you. This morning in Sunday school, we uh, studied the book of Ruth, and I took the, the class to Matthew chapter number 1. When, when, when Christ is telling the story of all of his relatives in the past, all the people that God used to bring about Christ. And in that story, there are four women mentioned in that story. Four women. There's a woman by the name of Tamar. And in Genesis chapter 38, we learn Tamar's story. It's a crazy story. Here's a woman who dressed up like a prostitute to deceive her father-in-law because he had abandoned her. And sold herself in prostitution to sleep with her father-in-law. And then she gave birth to twins from her father-in-law. And guess what? Somehow, someway, God rescued and redeemed a crazy story like that. And Tamar became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Bible talks about Rahab. Rahab's in that story. She also was a prostitute. She lived in Jericho. And she had sold herself to the Jericho men. And yet, when Israel came, she cast her faith on Christ. And she ended up marrying one of the men from Israel. And she ended up giving birth to a guy named Boaz. Well, later on, Boaz is going to marry a girl by the name of Ruth. There's a whole book in the Bible written about Ruth. And Ruth was a Gentile woman. She was from Moab. She, she wouldn't have known God from a doorstop. She had no idea who God was. And guess what God did? God rescued her and redeemed her and brought her into his family. And then you find later that David uh, got in trouble with a woman named Bathsheba. They were immoral together and had a child together. And David even had this woman's husband killed. Friends, it's some of the most bizarre and crazy stories. I mean, look, you, you talk about you talk about like making a movie on this stuff. Now, there's a movie to be made about Rahab and about Tamar and about Ruth and about Bathsheba. Let me tell you the good news. The good news is this isn't make-believe. This isn't Hollywood. These are some people that have been to the worst places in the world. People have done unthinkable things. And guess what they found? They found forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, friend, I've got some good news. This is for you. What is the gospel? It's the good news. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again for you. Who's it for? Everybody. All have sinned, and yet all can have Christ. The final question I want to answer is this How is it received? What is the step between what Christ did for you and where you are right now? In other words, if there's nothing I do to be saved because Christ did it for me, how do I accept it? How do I get it, if, as it were? And friend, I want to tell you this. It is the simplest thing you could ever read for yourself, but I'm going to read it for you. And I'm going to try to make this as plain and simple as it can be. Romans chapter number 10, verse 9 and 10 tell us how a person can be saved. I mean, you might be here today going, man, that sounds good to me. I need that. I want that. And I'm going to tell you right now how to get that. 
How do you accept Christ? How do you believe in him? How, what, how does this work? Well, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Listen, you will be saved. You will be rescued. God will, God will take you. He will forgive you if you do what? Listen, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. What is the first thing you have to do to be saved? Listen very carefully. First thing you have to be do to be saved is to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What is belief? It is faith. Faith is not just agreement to. Faith is dependence upon. Faith means that I am totally depending on Jesus for my salvation. I have acknowledged it, I have accepted it, and I am leaning on him. I am believing him. I believe that he is God. I believe that he died. I believe he rose again. And I believe I need him today. Is there anybody here that would just say that right now in your heart? That's it. I believe that. I need that. But then it says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You say, how do I do that? Well, three verses later it tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let me make it really simple. How, do you be, how are you saved? Number one, you believe in him. Number two, you receive him. Believe, receive. Believe, accept, depend upon, and then receive. Call upon his name. It's simply a matter of reaching out by faith and asking Christ to do what he's already said he would do. Folks, the Bible is very clear that the way you get rescued from your drowning condition is to ask to be rescued. It's as simple as calling out by faith in your heart and asking Jesus Christ to save you. H.L. Hunt made millions of dollars as a Texas oil man. He was an aggressive businessman with little regard for time. He called his chief confidant, John, that he, in the middle of the night, he needed to speak to him as quickly as he could. At 2 a.m., he phoned John and said these words, John? I just made it the greatest trade of my life. I traded the here for the hereafter. I just got saved. Friend, today I'm inviting you to trade the here for the hereafter. I'm inviting you to trade eternal death for eternal life. I'm inviting you to trade no hope for hope in Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to invite you to do that right here where you are right before we leave to enjoy a meal together. So right now, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm just going to have a word of prayer. I want you to just listen. Just, just listen to me real carefully. We're, we're, we're about to head out and enjoy some time together. Before we do, I, I want to give you the opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior. I hope the message was an encouragement to you. I hope, I hope it gave you some hope. I hope it showed you the truth from the Bible about how you can, how you can be saved. And I want to give you the opportunity before we even go and grab a bite to eat for you to trust in Christ as your Savior right here and right now. Remember, all you got to do is believe and receive. Call upon the name of the Lord. Normally, we would have an opportunity for you to meet with somebody individually, but look, it's, it's, just, it's crowded in here, and it's going to be difficult to do that. So here's what I know. God can save you right in your seat where you're sitting right now. 
we can. He wants to. He wants to. And if, if the Bible's true, and it is, here's what it says. If you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Which means if you will reach out by faith and ask him to be your savior, right here and right now, he will save you. So right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form a prayer here through the speakers. And if you are here today and you say, preacher, I, I man, I need Jesus, man, I, I I know that if I died, I, I just, man, I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven or hell. I don't know all that. But I know, I know from what you said today, I need to accept him. I need to believe in him. And I need to do it right now. Then I'm going to invite you, when I pray out loud, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. You can pray silently inside your heart. You can pray out loud if you want to. But right here, right now, as I pray this prayer, I'm going to invite you to repeat it or pray it with me. Now listen very carefully. I can't save you. Your prayer can't save you. Jesus saves you. But praying to him and asking him to save you is how you get the salvation he's offering. So I'm going to help you to do that right now. So right here and right now, I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray it with me, after me, in your heart, right here and right now. And receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. So would you pray that prayer with me right now if you never have? Heavenly Father. I know that I am a sinner, and I know that I cannot save myself. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died. I believe that he was buried, and I believe that he rose from the dead. And I believe that he is the only way I can get to heaven and today I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior thank you for loving me help me never to be ashamed of you Right here and right now, if you're here and before the Lord, I'm, I'm looking. We have a couple people that have a gift or two for you that they want to share with you. But right here, right now, if you say, preacher, listen, I just, right now, I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. Today, I have personally accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I just want to, to let you know that I accepted him today. And I'm so thankful that I did. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, you meant it and you're glad you did, right now, would you just slip your hand up high enough that I can see? Would you do that? Just hold your hand right up. God bless you. Just keep them up for just a second. Somebody's going to bring you a Bible so that you can have that Bible. God bless you. That's wonderful. Who else right now? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. A minute. I'm glad that I did. Would, would you pray for me, preacher? can lower those hands they're going to get to you they're going to have to wait to get to you till after we dismiss because it's crowded who else come on you say preacher i prayed that prayer a minute i'm glad that i did and i've accepted christ today as my savior and i'm thankful for that is there anybody else just lift your hand right up so we can pray for you anybody else and we rejoice with these that have accepted christ today let's stand if we could for a